Hello and welcome to the Union Podcast. My name is Brian Pugh and this is episode 68. And uh, if you're new to the Union Podcast, uh, this organization, the Union, exists to help people find wholeness in sexuality, identity, and relationships. And uh, we have just a gospel-centered and biblical focus. So whenever we dive into these topics, it's always from that perspective. Um, yeah, again, if you're new here, we just want to welcome you here. We hope that today's conversation is refreshing and encouraging, life-giving, and just gives you a really uh, yeah, clear perspective on the beauty of God's design for those areas. Uh, if you're a return listener, thank you so much for coming back. And again, as always, we hope, hope the same for you. Usually we sit down and we interview people or Bonnie and I will have a discussion. But today we're actually highlighting a message that I preached at an MFI Canada conference just recently in September. And we thought it'd be really uh, helpful to share here. It's entitled, We've Been Here Before, How History Can Bring Us Hope. And uh, I think in a lot of ways, when it comes to sexuality and identity and, and what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, we can feel like the things that we're dealing with today are just all new. Now, they've kind of been repackaged in a lot of ways, but to be honest, as a church in history, humanity has been here before. And I think when we can look back into history, we can see that, that there is a hope. There is a hope in the gospel. There is a hope in the church being the church. And so that's what I dive into today. And I hope this uh, this message is encouraging and uh, just meets you where you are and gives you some tools uh, to walk as a faithful disciple of Jesus. So please enjoy this message. Honestly, it's uh, it's a joy to be here. And and again, like Bonnie said, I can just echo again. I just love uh, the heart and the sense of the Holy Spirit uh, moving amongst the people of God. It's just so good to be in the same room with you all. And um and I understand that this topic of sexuality and culture is uh, is just a really easy topic to discuss, right? It's just an easy thing just to walk right into. There's no landmines or anything, right, Pastor Matt? There's just nothing you could tweet that would maybe get you in trouble by one side of the argument. No, we're living in a very difficult time. A very polarized moment that we're in politically a lot of different things that are, that are going on within our society. And, but even when it comes down to biblical morality or even objective truth, we are living in a very difficult time. And I have some good news for you. Well, act, actually, it's bad news. But it's good news, though. But it's bad, but it's good news. It's good, bad news. It's bad, good news. We've been here before. We've been here before. Now, I know we love to, I know like we're, I'm speaking as a millennial, you know, I, I turned 37 and I know I look 37, maybe, I don't know how to finish that sentence, right? But like, I, I know like as a millennial, we're so used to just like things quickly happening fast and just in the moment, we just kind of surround ourselves with what in the, what's in the moment and we can be easily overwhelmed when we don't take that step back and actually see there's something bigger that's gone on. And we actually, when we take this bigger step back in society and in culture and in history, we actually see that God chose to plant his church in a Greco-Roman sex-saturated culture because he wanted to turn the world upside down. He didn't, he didn't plant it in the quote-unquote Bible belt where everybody had their clean hands and a pure heart. He planted the church in a, in a place that worshiped sexuality as a means of culture. This is what we do. We're Roman pagans. We're Greek hedonists. This is what we do. And this is where God decided to plant his church. So I have, I have hope for you, leader, pastor, mom, dad, youth group leader, young adult leader, children's ministry leader. I have hope for you. But this hope is going to require courage. It's going to require a fortitude. It's going to require a strength that is actually not found in you. It's going to require the grace of God that we need to access. And, um, you know, my wife, you know, as Bonnie said, like, we got, we got six boys, and, and Bonnie actually loves to go hiking. And I love my wife. So you kind of know I'm not the hiker. Like, I don't, I don't, like, you know how people, like, they love to go jogging? You know, they go running for no reason. Like, they run when no one's chasing them. Like, there's something about that in the Bible, by the way. But, like, 
But like I'm, I'm, a, I'm like the kind of rugby player. Like I run for a purpose. I run when there's a ball involved. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't just, you don't just run for no reason. But anyways, Bonnie loves to go hiking, and and I'm a little bit of a basket case when I go uh, hiking with Bonnie because I'm I'm feeling responsibility for our kids. Like we got we got a two year old, and we got like. There's like bears and lions and tigers, oh my, in the forest, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to be a man. I want to take care of my kids. I want to lead my family. I want to make sure that we're good. And so I can get really easily overwhelmed on the way up the hill because I've never done this before. I've never been here before. I'm a different person coming down. Right? Because I've been here before. I've got a sense of, of, of how long it's going to be. You know, that tree is there. That's a good marker. You know, all this stuff. And like, there, I, I kind of have a familiarity with the atmosphere that we're in. And I want to encourage you, and this is the heart of this message today, is to provide some context and get you familiarized, get your balance, because I know there's everything on this topic has been trying to throw you off track. And we can go to God's word and we can see, wow, we haven't been here before. And if we're willing, or we have been here before as a church, and if we're willing to do what they did, and we're even more importantly, we're willing to do what Jesus did, then we can see what Jesus saw. And the church that Jesus is building, the gates of hell will not prevail against. Can you say amen? I want to say this really quickly before we move on. The people of God have always faced, encountered, and a and opposed a demonically empowered perversion of sexuality that is meant to destroy the image of God in humanity and hinder the church's work in the earth. You will see that Old Testament all the way to New Testament. We're going to do that today. But um, we need to understand why this is the hotbed topic, why sexuality is the method, the means that the enemy is using to destroy the people of God and to hinder the, the purposes of God and to destroy people made in the image of God because the enemy is not shutting down the Wi-Fi. You know what I mean? He's not like, all right, we're going we're gonna to really make sure every Starbucks is shut down. You know, like you can imagine when Satan wakes up in the morning, if he does wake up in the morning and he goes into the boardroom and he's got all his demons around, he's like, right, guys, what are we going to do? It's like, I think we should attack the Wi-Fi and all the hipster coffee shops. That's going to destroy a generation. He says, I like your thinking, guys. Let's get it on the whiteboard, you know? That's not what he's doing. He's saying, hey, let's, let's attack what a woman is. Let's lie to some women about their value. Let's lie to some daughters about who they are. Let's lie to some young men. Let's, let's lie to some sons about who they are. Let's lie to some men. Let's lie to some husbands about what they're called to. Let's lie to some mothers about what they're called to, some wives what they're called to. And let's destroy the beauty of the family. Because the family is meant to be the greatest evangelism tool on the earth. So if we can twist what a mom is, if we can twist what a dad is, what a man is, what a woman is, we can lie to them and we can steal their destiny and their purpose. So we have to see the demonic strategy in this. Uh, before we move on, I got a quote for you by a guy named G.K. Chesterton. If you have not read G.K. Chesterton, I encourage you, check him out. If you struggle having intellectual confidence, he might not be the guy to check out right away. Because he just blows my mind every time. But this is a really great quote. He says, don't ever take offense down until you know the reason it was put up. Like that'll preach right there. We could have the altar call right there. But he says, do not take offense down. Now we need to understand we're living in a time where that is the trending thing to do. Let's take some fences down. Let's take some posts, some fence posts out of the way. Let's move what is right, what is wrong. Let's, let's shift moral absolutes. And we're not stopping and asking the question, why is this fence here? If you're ever one of those crazy wild guys like I was when I grew up, you know, me and my friends, we thought cow tipping was something that would be fun to do or to at least try. And you find out really quick why there's a fence when you realize that there's a bull in the field. <laughs> it was meant to be kind of lighthearted, but maybe that hit home a little bit heavier than you thought. <laughs> but you realize why there's a fence and you realize why you're supposed to be on this side of it. It's because the boundary is not there to ruin your fun. 
The boundary is not there because God is somehow a cosmic killjoy and he's just so anti-sex. Do you realize that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed? And I mean like naked, like naked. And God was not awkward because there's actually a beauty in the design. There's safety, there's security, there's permanence, there's commitment, there's covenant. This atmosphere that God designed was a good design. And like 1 John says is that his commandments are not what? They're not burdensome. So God doesn't lay out this boundary markers, this fence, this prohibition, because he's just constantly grouchy. And he's just super conservative. Is actually he loves you more than you know. And he knows your heart better than you do. And he doesn't want you to be destroyed. Can you say amen? Just really quickly, I, I, we, just for the sake of time, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are all familiar with the fall in Genesis, right? Like, if, if not, we're going to have a separate session after, and we'll walk through that, all right? But we see something really, really amazing in this beginning, this garden narrative. We see something we have to grab a hold of because there's this principle, and I'll use that term very lightly because at some points this, this kind of breaks down, but there's this law of first mention that when you see something for the first time in scripture, it, it can be at times like a definition for what that topic is covering. And I find it interesting that the first person that darkness decided to speak to was a woman. Didn't come with truth didn't come with affirmation, came with insecurity and doubt and lies. And they go, men, can we, can we see the lies that are being told to our daughters, to our sisters and to our wives within our society on a constant basis? Do we see it? But there's two, there's two major things that the enemy says to Eve. He asks this question. And he's not, really looking for, he's not really looking for information. He's trying to sow something into the heart of Eve. He says, did God really say that you shall not eat from the tree? Because that's the question of the day, isn't it? Did God really say? Did God really say what he was saying when he said what he was saying? Or was he saying what he said? He didn't really mean what he was saying, but what he was saying what he said was this, that he wasn't saying what he was saying. He was actually saying, this is what he was saying. That's how confusing it is in our society right now, isn't it? That was even difficult for me to say. But this is a question being asked. This is the question of the day. Did God really say? I never thought in a moment that at any time within our day that the question, what is a woman, would be offensive. But this is what we've, this is what we've inherited. This is what we've, in, in a more so, I would say, this is what we've swallowed back. And we are drunk with confusion because of our immorality. But he also says this, he, he, he brings into question the command, did God really say, sow some confusion into the heart of a daughter? And then he goes on to further say, he says, well, actually, but you need to understand something, Eve. You're not going to die. If you eat from this tree, if you actually start to become God unto yourself and you start to define what is right and what is wrong for yourself, you start to decide, you start to decide your own identity instead of receiving your identity from your heavenly father. If you start to do, you're not going to die. Again, a blatant contradiction because this is what God says. When you do eat from that tree, you will die. But how many of you know they didn't just physically drop dead when they ate from the tree? They went from being naked and unashamed to having their eyes open and feeling insecure and hiding themselves from God. So we have, we go from a place of confidence to doubt and temptation to questioning and confusion to sin, rebellion, and isolation and hiddenness. But the good news is, is this. Who came looking for Adam and Eve? <laughs> Adam and Eve didn't try to get their stuff put together. God came looking for them. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's not that people with sexual brokenness and deviance and, and habits and, and shortcomings and failures. We don't tell them our message is not get your stuff figured out on the front side of the cross and then come to Jesus. And then, then you can 
then you can be a Christian. Our message is you come with all your baggage, all your brokenness, all your shame, all your guilt, all your confusion, and you lay it down at the feet of a loving, sacrificially serving, gracious God in Jesus. And he makes old things new. He causes life to come from death. He causes beauty to come from ashes. In this fall, we see that humanity is prone to exchange the creator for the created. We see that we exchange the pleasure of right living with God for the passing pleasures of sin. You know, John Mark Comer says this. He says, the consequence of the fall was not atheism specifically, but more so idolatry. Where we begin to take something that is meant to be a gift and we make it God. And I think within our conversation within the church over history, we've talked about sexuality in two ways. Either it's God and it's something to be worshipped, which is the message of the culture today, or it's gross. And guys, it's neither. It's a gift. But if we take the gift and we bring it outside of the context, what is meant to be a blessing will now become a curse. And what is meant to be a gift and a beautiful part of a covenantal relationship between one man and one woman will now become a hindrance and brokenness and shame and guilt will follow. This is why Paul says in Romans 1 verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. This is the definition of idolatry according to the Bible. You make an exchange. So what are the questions we're asking within the church today? It's like, how far can I go and still be a Christian? Can I make out with my girlfriend and still be on the worship team and still serve? And, you know, can I look at porn uh, on Friday night and Saturday night, but make sure I'm in the prayer room on Sunday morning? And can I still, is that enough? But we're, at, we're trying to ask the wrong questions. We're trying to answer the wrong questions. The question is not how much can you still hold on to and be a Christian? The question is, is how much did Jesus give up for your redemption? And are you willing to meet him in that place? This is why the conversation around sexuality is not a sidebar issue to Christianity and spiritual formation. It is the missing pillar of discipleship within the church. You get a, usually a few more amens at, at that one, but I'm, I'm reaching now, so don't even try to say it, you know. You can tell it's not like I have an opinion on the matter, right? But... I think there's this interesting cycle that we need to see specifically in the Old Testament because there's this cycle in the book of Judges. I don't know if you've ever read Judges before, but it's like you read one chapter and you've kind of read them all <laughs> because it's so repetitive. But there's this cycle where the people of God, they're walking in right relationship with God. They're walking in blessing and, and they're, they're worshiping in wholehearted devotion towards a loving God. Even like the God of the Old Testament is not angry. He's still the same God of love who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This is the character of God in the Old Testament is that he's for us. But there was a means in which you had to be in right relationship with him sacrifice, worship. There was a whole system that was put in place with that. And so the people would experience this righteousness and this blessing and this covering. But what would happen is there would be a strain. They would be in right relationship. They would begin to stray. They'd begin to worship false gods, gods of other nations that were not worshiped within the way that was pleasing to Yahweh. And we're going to get into some of that really quickly, but, but they would go into this rebellion and God would send a prophetic voice and be like, hey guys, you keep going this way. Listen, I love you. I'm a, I'm a good heavenly father. I love you. And I'm, I don't want you to be destroyed by this. But if you keep going this way, you're going to fall into the hands of another nation. And you're going to be oppressed. This isn't my heart for you. But they would, they would harden their hearts against the word of God. They would fall into oppression. And then they would cry out. They'd cry out in repentance, God, deliver us, forgive us. And then God would raise up a deliverer and would defeat that, that nation. 
And then they would be walking back into right standing again. But then that judge would die. And then the cycle begins again. Can we just take a step back in our nation? Where do you think in this cycle we are in Canada? You know, I was so, I was so gripped as Pastor, Pastor Stephen was talking and just how God, how God could hear the voice of Abel's blood. That messes with you. How does the blood have a voice? And God's saying, Cain, the blood of your brother cries out to me from the ground. What does 55 million sacrificed babies in America sound like to God? Is it, is it nothing to him? Is it nothing to us? That at an altar of compromise and immorality and financial, quote-unquote, blessing, we're willing to sacrifice the most innocent among us for convenience. What does that sound like in Canada? What do the sounds of abortion sound like to God? What do the sounds of broken-hearted daughters who have been abused and are dealing with shame and hatred of their own body because it was their body that led them into this place of abuse because a relationship that should have been safe, that they should have had accountability and safety with, violated a design, violated a boundary, and now they hate their body. And they're walking into a doctor's office saying, I want hormones. I want my body to be cut. I want my, the beauty of my body that's been designed by God. I want, it, I want to change it. It's too, much, it's too much shame. It's too much guilt. I can't deal with the pressure anymore. What does that sound like to God? So where are we? I have to say, we are somewhere in between oppression and deliverance. But we see right in the middle, it's repentance. And you might be going, Brian, repentance, repentance of what? Like, I'm not preaching that pornography is okay. I'm not affirming this. I'm not affirming that. But see, we need to understand there are the sins of commission in the actions that you do, and there's the sins of omission in what you are refusing to talk about. And what you are refusing to talk about will always grow. And there's a way that you can talk about this and be completely wrong, all right? I'm going to come out and say that. Hello, purity culture, right? You can be well-meaning in your purpose, but be completely wrong in your approach. And the church has fallen in, like, I don't know if I said this before, but one of two ditches where we think that we love people more than God, and we'll start crossing scriptures out of the Bible because it's really inconvenient, and it's really uh, culturally taboo, so, like, we don't want to go there because we don't want to offend, like, we'll do that. We'll fall into that ditch, or we'll fall into this ditch over here where we'll write things on signs that are completely uh, disgusting and hate-filled and demeaning to people who are made in the image of God. And I go, could there maybe, by chance, possibly be a third option where we can be truthful and gracious? I think there is. I want to encourage you. There's, there's, there's two mandates that the church has. And I feel it's really important just to establish this as part of our foundation here today. I know we're 12 minutes in and uh, I'm still laying my foundation, so forgive me. But we have a worship mandate as the church. Right? I think we would, we would all agree at that. that we're, we're meant to be worshipers. We're meant to be people of the presence. You know what I mean? We're meant to be people who walk in, in personal holiness and devotion to the Lord. We're called to be set apart to his purposes like, this is, this, is what, this is what Romans 12 says. Like, make your bodies a living sacrifice. You know, I mean, this is, this is true and acceptable worship before God. Not just a good song with, you know, like a repetitive free praise. You know what I mean? Like, God bless you, Maverick City. But like, it's not, it's not necessarily a song. Worship is not a song. It's a lifestyle and a, and a pattern of living that your whole being is meant to be worshiping God. And this is what we're called to. And we're called to love him with our, our whole being as well. But then we have this, this evangelism mandate. So we have this vertical relationship that we're called to, this vertical mandate that we have with God. But then we have this horizontal call that we have as well as a church. 
If you look at that really quickly, the evangelism mandate, we're called to be as ambassadors. We bring the kingdom of God. If you actually look at the word, uh, what we call apostle, it actually has a Roman meaning where it's actually, it's actually connected to when the Roman army, they would send out their quote unquote apostles to go and establish Roman culture in cities that have been conquered. It has a root in that. So the apostolic call that we have as a church is to go and establish the kingdom in untouched places. This is partly what we're called to. And we have this evangelistic mandate and, there, and this, this to be the hands and feet of Jesus that we're bringing healing and reconciliation. You know, like we're, we're, we're involved in a certain level, and I would say that very carefully, of social justice, where we are working in to bring reconciliation. Like, like we heard today, it was such a beautiful message today. That's what we're called to. We're called to feed the poor. We're called to clothe the naked and to, to help those who are bound. That's what we're called to. But here's this really inconvenient part of our evangelistic call, is that we're called to be his voice. That's where it gets kind of awkward. It's because we're called to be a prophetic mandate. Like we have a, ma a prophetic mandate as a church. We're called to be the voice of God to the culture. Right, and we want to have, like, there's three avenues of, of, of even, like, effective preaching that we have biblical theology and we're training people in the word and we have spiritual formation that we're helping people have a rhythm and a discipleship process to follow after Jesus. But then there's this other part where it's like, we have to have some cultural commentary where we are speaking to things that are really going on in the culture and, and identifying the lies within society that would keep people from wanting to follow after Jesus and keep them from even caring about what he has to say. And if we're only doing biblical theology and spiritual formation, we actually miss out on our evangel evangelistic mandate. And I was so gripped when Pastor Mark the other night said like, hey, when can we just get back to doing this? And all the while, the world outside of us is yelling help. So here's the problem. When we, when we forsake our evangelistic mandate and this call to bring truth to the marketplace, to our sphere of influence outside of the walls of the church, you want to know what's really tempting to start to do? Piping up our worship mandate. Like, I'm not going to throw shade at smoke and lights and smoke machines if that's your deal. Man, ride that till the wheels fall off. If you're doing it for Jesus... Like, I get it. But I, I'm concerned that we're, we're hyping up ex experiential moments because we actually don't want to address what's going on outside of the, the walls of the church. And it, and it appeals to our conscience knowing that, wow, we got the warm and tinglys here. And I love the presence of God, you guys. Don't get it twisted. I love these moments where we can come as the body of Christ and experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. But remember... It's to be a witness. It's to be a voice of reconciliation, hope, forgiveness. You know, this is a, we jump forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 to 6. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Right? Like, I think if anything, in these last two years of COVID, you know what it was really easy to do? Walk in the flesh. Think according to the flesh. Uh, post according to the flesh. That's a word for somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go on Twitter in the flesh. Comments, you know. But it says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is, is complete. So I, I understand as, as charismatics, and, and <laughs> I am a charismatic, just don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm, I, I, love, I love River Junkie and everything like that. Like That's great. But we tend to think that strongholds are places, physical places, 
And so we'll go and we'll anoint this place and we'll pray over that place. And, and sometimes God does use those prophetic actions and I'm not throwing shade at that in any way, shape or form. But I'll tell you what a stronghold really is. It's between your ears. It's the thoughts that you think. It's the worldview that you have. It's the perspective that you have. This is why Paul is saying that we don't walk according to the flesh. We don't war according to the flesh, but our, our weapons of our warfare are mighty in God but have divine power, divine dunamis to destroy strongholds. What is he referring to? He says right again, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, these strongholds have to be addressed by truth. These lies have to be addressed with reality. And reality is what happens when lies hit you in the face. That's what reality is. See, we see this prophetic call that Jeremiah has, and I'm just going to talk about this really quickly. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 9 to 10, it says, Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, then to build and plant. See, we love the build and plant part. Like, that's really great. But you see what is dangerous is that we can try to build and plant if we haven't addressed the stronghold. If we haven't addressed some of the realities that we're facing within our society. If we're not willing to speak truthful, compassionately to the idols of the day. What we end up building and planting is ineffective. But if we can address with hopeful, gospel-centered approach, we can break down these strongholds and see God restore lives. Ephesians 5.11 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. How do we expose them? Think about it. Like when God, in the beginning, when he, when he called light forth, he used his words. Light dispels darkness. And what you're not willing to talk about will only grow. What, what is not willing to be addressed and strongholds that are not being addressed bear incredible impact. Really quickly, if we look in the, uh, in the Old Testament, we see that there was these false God systems, like I mentioned earlier, that the people of God would always encounter. Number one would be Baal. Another one would be Asherah and one would be Molech. These were all Canaanite deities that they were worshipped through two things specifically. One was sexual immorality, sexual participation, and two was a sacrifice of either an animal or a human. This is constantly what led the people of God astray. And we need to see the connection between abortion and sexual immorality in a culture because abortion is the end of the conveyor belt in a culture that worships sex. Is because this is the beautiful gift of God's design is that children were meant to bring accountability and responsibility and the, they were a fruitfulness of a covenant relationship. And again, I'm speaking in ideal God's design kind of terms. I understand there's certain levels of brokenness that may even, may even be part of your story. And I want to be really compassionate to that. And I hope you understand me. But we need to understand that children come out of the womb screaming responsibility. Like I got six of them, you guys. I know this firsthand. Like, they look at me to, like, take care of them. Is that crazy or what? You know? But you can't have a culture that's going to worship at the altar of sexual immorality without having abortion. This is why sex and death are always connected. And we see this, that these were, these were the false gods, that, they, that the children of Israel, they would go up on the high places and they would worship at these places where sexual participation, sexual encounter was going on, even without being too awkward and gross, but hey, you came to a breakout session about sex, so here we are. You know what I mean? An Asherah pole was a tree cut to, make look a, to be made to look like a male sex organ. And this is what was being offered to this false goddess of Asherah. And the people would come and they would worship around this altar through sexual experience. Well, we don't have that today. We just have Tinder. You know what I mean? We don't have a, an, an altar to Asherah. We just 
We just have Tinder. We just have hookup culture, right? But what's really crazy, you guys, and again, just to send this, this home, this false god, Molech, was specifically worshipped through human sacrifice. And you want to know where you find Molech mentioned? Is in Leviticus 18, where God is laying out sexual morality, proper sexual practice. Right smack dab in the middle of Leviticus 18 is this really awkward verse where God says, do not allow your offspring to pass through the fire. Whoa, what is that doing there? It's because this was a system that was established to keep the sexual immorality system moving forward. And we don't have that today. We just have Planned Parenthood. And it doesn't change much when you get into the New Testament. We have Diana. We have Artemis. We have these Roman and Greek deities that were worshipped again through temple prostitution, a cultural invitation to sexual participation. And they were worshipped, worshipped in this way. If we look back, uh, there's a book called uh, when, when Nations Die by a man named Jim uh, Nelson Black. He highlights the key fall to the Roman Empire was two things. A growing sexual immorality and a, and a devaluing of human life. That's what led. It wasn't their lack of military prowess because they had it. But what led to the fall of the Roman Empire was sexual promiscuity, sexual immorality, and a devaluing of human life. Can we get to the good news now? Because we've been waiting in some bad news, <laughs> right? Can we get to some good news now? Are you guys ready for that? And again, it's kind of like good bad news. I, I apologize. It wasn't not being 100% forthright here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You can imagine you're a first century convert to Christianity and you've, you've actually been, you were a young lady working as a temple prostitute to Diana and you're in Ephesus and man, you've come to her, you've come to hear about this guy named Jesus who, who died and rose again and, and his power is moving through this people called the way, called Christians and you've decided, hey, I'm going to come check out one of these, you know, villa meetings. You're at a house church meeting and you're hearing this letter being read and you're like, whoa, 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 what, what? Oh, this is, this is not looking good for me. Because what Paul just highlighted is my story. And you can imagine the air being sucked out of your lungs, but then you hear this, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, Paul doesn't follow the common lie of the day that was Gnosticism, which essentially said that what you did with your physical body was somehow less important than what you were on the inside. Can we bring that into the modern day that we're living in? Well, you get to choose your pronouns. You get to choose how you identify. If you want to be an animal, a cat, you want to be a man, a woman, it is up to you because it's just your biology on the outside. And that's going to fall away. You're going to die and you're going to go into the dirt and you're, that's who you are. But who you are on the inside is the more important thing. And we create this two-tiered system where it says, yes, your biology might be true, but what's more important is this. And you want to know what's foundational to the Christian faith is this thing called the resurrection where Jesus comes back in not an idea, not in a spiritual form, but a physical body. Jesus finds it so fitting and he finds so much value in your biology, in your body, that he post-resurrection comes back and says, what's up now? How you like me now? And I don't know about you, but I tend to think that the resurrection is kind of an important part of what we're doing. 
And I think if we can, if we can bring back the hope of the gospel, we can, we can set forth as a city on a hill the high ground to call people out of the brokenness of immorality into a life-transforming reality of resurrection, of new life, old things passing away. Behold, all things becoming new in Jesus. This is the tension that we have to navigate in these times that we are both yet, yes, gracious, yet truthful. Because I know the temptation right now is like, hey, like how affirming can we be, right? And that's, that's the earmark, that's the litmus test that the church is facing by the culture standards is, is what are you affirming? What are you posting about? What are you, what are you tagging in your Instagram? What are, you, what are you doing? What are you saying on this topic of morality? And the pressure is coming to say, hey, why don't you just, just affirm? Okay, just come in and just bless. And it's like, does it really matter? You know what I mean? Like Jesus didn't really talk about homosexuality, even though, you know, Moses says, that, or Jesus says that when Moses was talking, he was talking about Jesus. So even everything that Moses is talking about in the Ten Commandments and the laws around sexual deviancy uh, was kind of like Jesus's idea. But that's another point. We can talk about that some other time. The temptation is to fall into that quicksand. And unfortunately, if we do that, we sentence people to brokenness, shame, guilt, and most importantly, and most heartbreakingly, eternal conscious torment. I know leaders, you're, you're feeling it because the mob is angry. They want blood. Like, listen, you just think about what Paul faced in Ephesus as he started to speak out on some of these things. They thought, they thought that Paul was attacking Artemis, this great goddess of the Ephesians, and they rioted because of Paul. For hours they shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Like, I get it. That's cancel culture right there. I understand the pressure, but listen, we need courage. We need courage to stand in this hour because I'm hopeful. These realities are heartbreaking. The realities of our nation are heartbreaking and the things that people are facing and what we're, we're just seem to be stamping as a society are heartbreaking. But I'm hopeful in the power of resurrection. Leader, you cannot afford not to talk about this. The next generation is yelling, calling out to you, please say something on this. I need to know the way out of hell. We have young men and young women steeped in pornography. It's never been more accessible ever. What does that do to the mindset? What does that do? Like even the science is showing, it literally rewires your brain. What is that doing to a generation? And it's like, I, listen, this leader I'm going to mention, I'm not going to mention his name, but I, I so appreciate a lot of things that he does. And he's a great, impactful leader in the States. And it's just, his church is just taking off. But he said one of the things he tries to do in his church is every four years to do a series on sexuality. That way every high school student will hear it at least once before they graduate. Which that sounds really great. And all you like strategists and like planners are just like, I love it. Every four years, get it on the calendar. <laughs> um, that would be really great if you only dealt with sexuality once every four years. <laughs> And it's like, hey, we're going to have a talk when they turn 18. It's like, hey, probably your 18-year-old could have the talk with you. <laughs> we can't afford not to be talking about this, you guys. And we can do this in a way that is truthful and is honest and is a blessing and gives people perspective. Because if we just try to come about it in a prohibition way, which is what we've tried to do in church history, like, hey, just don't think about sex, okay? Just don't think about it. Some of you are thinking about it right now. You need to knock it off. <laughs> Flee youthful lust, all right, you guys? How many know that doesn't work? How many know that like shame, fear-based, guilt-based, obligation-based holiness is not sustainable? But when you can provide a revelation and an understanding of the goodness of God's design, there is grace release where people can say, actually, I have a vision. Therefore, I am not casting off restraint. Therefore, I will honor God with my bodies, which is my true sacrifice, my true spiritual worship. 
Yeah, man, I'm gonna, it's not easy to navigate this life. It's not easy to navigate this life coming out with clean hands and a pure heart. But I'm going to trust in the grace of God. I'm going to keep getting up when I fall because that's what a righteous person does. Just really quickly, I say that every time. <laughs> I, I got I to read this, and I apologize if it takes a little bit longer, but Jesus is talking to a church in Revelation chapter 2, a church in Thyatira, which is like kind of modern-day Turkey. And he says, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. He says, I know your works, your love, and your faith, and your service, and your patient endurance. And your latter works actually exceed the first. So what is he saying? He's like, I love that you are so about having a loving community. I love that you're faithful and like you're teaching people the word and you're helping people develop their prayer life and, and everything and become more like Jesus. And you're reaching out to the community. You're serving and you're patiently enduring trial. I love it. And you're actually growing. So good. You can just hear like Jesus is just pumped. But he says this, he says, but I have this against you. So that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Remember, this is Jesus talking, right? Loving, kind, compassionate Jesus, blonde haired blue eyes on the final graph, Jesus, right? And he says, but you're tolerating Jezebel. See, Jesus doesn't speak correction for participation. But he speaks correction because of tolerance. And what you tolerate, leader, will dominate. What you tolerate outside your fence of your home will eventually be knocking at your front door. And we have a time and an hour that we are in that if we cannot stand up in courage and in hope and in love and in truth, in truth, then the brokenness will continue and our families will dissolve, our nations will dissolve. But I want to, see, I want to even show you within this, God has a wonderful plan of revival. In verse 26, he says, The one that conquers and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So this person who's not going to tolerate a lie and a brokenness of sexual immorality within the culture anymore, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. Which does beg a question. If Jesus is going to give authority, what did we think we had before? Because the reality is, as long as you are tolerating this, you actually don't have authority. Because some of the stats, you guys, of within the church and outside of the church are not too different. And that's just people who are being honest. Like if we were to bring this into reality, what would, would you be willing to show your search history? I don't say that to condemn you. I don't say that. But like, guys, we've got to be devoted. We've got to be sold out in not obligationary holiness, but loving dedication to the purposes of God. No compromise. So, but he says, I'm going to give you authority over nations. What does that look like? What does revival look like for Canada? It looks like transgenderism, people who struggle with transgender being restored. It looks like marriages being restored. It looks like pronouns, instead of saying Z, Zer, Zem, he, her, she, saying redeemed, beloved, restored. This is what it can look like. This, this is what we're called to, church. Leader, I want to encourage you so much. If you are willing to do what our bold Christian brothers and sisters did before and be the high ground, be a place of loving, compassionate, patient, truthful atmosphere, we can see what they saw. And that was transformation of culture, transformation of society, Families restored, marriages restored, 
Because you got to think about it. What was it like to be a Roman prostitute? Because before Jesus, before the message of Jesus, you didn't have a second chance. The way Roman society worked, there was no chance of a new beginning for you. This is what transformed the reality of people's lives. I'd love it if you just stand to your feet here for a moment. You know, there's this crazy verse in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Dayton, why don't you come up, brother? God says he'll do something. If the, if the people of God are willing to humble themselves and pray and seek his face and do what? Turn from their wicked ways. God says he will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. I wonder today if maybe by chance there are some leaders who are willing to be his people. Something so incredible I see in the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah begins to confess when he sees the broken down walls around Jerusalem. When he hears this, he begins to confess the sins of his people. He begins to take this place of intercession and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the innocent blood shed in our land. I'm sorry for young daughters being lied to and me being complicit and not doing what is right instead of what is easy. God, forgive us for worshiping at these altars of compromise. Forgive us for worshiping at the altars of immorality. Forgive us for our, our hidden search engines. Forgive us for our compromise. God, forgive us. Nehemiah starts to take this position and I believe God takes that prayer of a man who's willing to stand in the gap. And he says, I'm gonna use it to restore something beautiful. Listen, if that's you today, I don't know what your story is. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're, you're, you're right in the fight of it and you don't feel like you're winning. Today can be a new day for you. God wants to release a grace as you surrender this aspect of who you are for his glory. God will meet you here today. But leader, if you've been feeling that, in, that intimidation and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know if I can talk about this. I don't know, I'm too, man, what about the cancel culture? I wanna say it is worth it. Is there not a cause? David stood before Goliath and when he could hear the cancel culture saying, David, what are you doing here? He said, is there not a cause? Is the next generation not worth standing in the gap for? I want you to leave your seat right now and just join me down here as we're gonna have a moment of prayer. We're going to have a time of prayer. If you want to be part of the answer. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.